0: What's up, guys? Julie here. On this week's episode, I'm switching things up a bit and bringing you listeners a great conversation that I had with Joe Rinaldi. Joe is a man who wears many hats and is full of wisdom. Our conversation spans quite a few topics, from physical therapy to overcoming hardship and pursuing the best version of yourself. There's something in here for everybody, and I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So without further ado here's Joe. What's going on everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Goal Set Mindset podcast. Today's episode is a super special edition. I have my first ever guest. We've got Dr. Joe Rinaldi here. Joe is a doctor of physical therapy, human performance coach, entrepreneur writer, and content creator. Somebody that I look up to very much. So thanks for coming on Joe.
1: Julie, it is my pleasure. And that might be one of the best introductions that I've ever gotten on a podcast. So hopefully <laughs> awesome. I live up to the hype.
0: I'm glad to hear that. Um, so Joe, I've been following you for quite a while now, but tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and your journey.
1: Sure. So uh, as you mentioned, I am a doctor of physical therapy. I'm 27 years old and I live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania with my wife, Michaela, who's also a physical therapist and is how Julie and I connected uh, because Julie, you were at the hospital where my wife works in Philly. Um, So yeah, shout out to Michaela. If you're listening to this, Um, hopefully you are. And um, yeah, so I am currently practicing one day a week in an outpatient clinic here in Philadelphia. I left my full-time job about four months ago now to pursue my online performance coaching more full-time as I continue to create on social media, write and pursue some speaking engagements to really share my story, which speaking of my story really starts back when I was a child. And the most important thing to know about me for anybody listening is that I have a condition called best disease. Best disease is a genetic eye condition that causes sporadic but progressive loss of central sight. So currently at 27 years old, I'm legally blind in my right eye. My left eye is pretty good. So with both eyes open, I could read, write, drive, do anything anybody else can do. But the nature of the condition is just very uncertain. So I can wake up tomorrow and uh, not be able to see. Or I can live another 20 years with the same exact site that I have today. So um, that's a little bit about me. And uh, I could just dive into anything that you want to talk about, Julie.
0: Yeah, of course. No, thanks for sharing your story. I mean, a lot of your you know, interests and pursuits right now is something that I'm very interested in myself, which is one of the reasons why I was so excited to talk. But um, your journey with that, I mean, I can't even imagine. And you've created such an amazing mindset around that. Um, But back to starting out as a physical therapist, what ultimately drove you to take the leap into transitioning from full time, you know, typical new grad PT into doing your own thing?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And there were a lot of factors. So I was practicing for about three years before I made that transition. And the first year and a half uh, out of school was very normal, right? There wasn't a pandemic, things were going pretty smoothly. You have your first job, you're making money, you're excited about it. And then the pandemic happened and things really slowed down. And I was very fortunate to stay at my job through the pandemic. Uh, I, Although my job you know, responsibilities changed a little bit, I went from treating patients to cleaning toilets and doing whatever needed to be done, but I was still employed and I was grateful for that. So as things started to pick back up, I realized that I didn't love the pace that I was moving at. I was seeing anywhere from 14 to 18, or maybe sometimes more patients a day, which translated to two and a half to three and a half patients an hour. And I really felt like I couldn't give my full attention or uh, abilities and care to the people I was treating because my head was just always on a swivel throughout the day. So that was one factor. The other factor was, I thoroughly enjoyed and still enjoy creating content, writing, podcasting, creating videos, telling my story, connecting, networking, whatever you want to call it. And I was doing all of those things outside of work. And so I was able to get all of that done, but I was working 40 to 80 plus hours a week, depending on what I was doing. And so while I was still able to do all the things I cared about, I was completely run down and it got to the point where I was very present physically when I was home with my wife, but it was kind of like, you know, the lights are on, but nobody's home. I just mentally was not there because I had so much on my mind. And uh, that all kind of culminated with a series of combinations, conversations rather, that I had with people in my circle who were entrepreneurs, and they told me what it felt like for them to take the leap. And uh, it was really this last conversation with actually my wedding videographer and now good friend, Luke O'Brien, who told me that. Entrepreneurship is a lot like backing yourself into a corner and you have no choice but to figure out a way forward because there's no other way to go. And when I heard that, something clicked and I decided it was time for me to make the jump. So I left my job and things have been really challenging, but also really amazing ever since.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I
1: mean, I can definitely
0: tell from the content that you put out and how open you are that you're really happy, at least you seem to be. I mean, obviously on social media, it's hard to get a true understanding of somebody's life, but you're one of the few people I follow who is very transparent and just real, you know? Um, and it's cool to see that you're following your gut and you're following your what you want, really want to do and it's working out. Um, but in terms of PT, I mean, I've heard a lot from PTs in the field that it's difficult to kind of maintain that feeling of purpose and like that love for the field when all of those other factors come in. So like, What is it that you love about physical therapy? What drew you to it in the first place?
1: Another great question. For me, it was just the fact that I, through personal experience, understand that when you're not feeling your best physically – You're also not feeling like yourself a hundred percent, right? So if you are an athlete and you get hurt and you can't play your sport, part of your identity gets taken away. If you're a grandfather and part of your identity is being able to get down on the ground and play with your grandchild. And now all of a sudden you have back pain and you can't do that. Part of your identity gets taken away. And so what drew me to the field of physical therapy was the opportunity to meet people in vulnerable places, people who didn't feel like themselves, and use my knowledge of exercise and movement to help that person get back to where and who they thought they wanted to be. And so that was really the driving force. And I should say that, the field of physical therapy to me still is very appealing. There are certain aspects like the ability to help people become who they want to be. Um, That is still a very strong desire I have, but there's just a lot of conflict, internal conflict that I have with the systems and structures um, in which physical therapists tend to practice, which makes that hard.
0: Yeah, I totally understand that. And I can relate to, Um, I mean, at your core, you're a coach, right? Like that's how Mm -hmm. you would identify. And I, in the last year or two have kind of realized that for myself, that what I'm really after is the ability to help empower people to help themselves, you know, through movement and exercise and lifestyle. Right. Um, So it's great. I'm glad to hear that you're still involved in physical therapy because I didn't realize you were still practicing a bit. So that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, But speaking of that, I mean, you're obviously drawn to helping people who are going through something and who are vulnerable, like you said. And one of the many things that I've learned from you is the value of finding strength in struggle. That's something that you preach often and I freaking love it. So talk a little bit about your experience with that and what that really means to you.
1: Thank you. Uh, yeah, so I I struggled for most of my life with the fact that I was losing my eyesight. I think I'd say from the age of 10 to about 24 I was angry, frustrated, confused, um, anxious, you name it, any negative emotion or feeling you could attach to something I felt about my eyesight and it really wasn't until I went to graduate school that things changed for me, but they didn't change until they got really, really bad. And so I went to my first year of grad school at Drexel University in Philadelphia, and that was hands down the darkest season of my life. I mean... I was so used to being able to put more effort toward things in my life, whether that was sports or school or relationships, I could just try harder and things would get better. But no matter how hard I tried during that first year of school, I just couldn't, I couldn't dig myself out of the the hole that I felt like I was in. And it was just this heaviness and this darkness and I, I just couldn't get out of it. So fast forward to the end of that first year, I started spending some more time with this girl and uh, I had a crush on her, we started hanging out and you know, I started feeling a little bit better about myself. And it came a point where I realized that this girl was the person I wanted to marry. So it was Michaela. And um, when I realized that she was the person I wanted to marry, it was almost like in an instant things flipped for me because at that point, life wasn't just about me anymore. It was a lot bigger than me because I knew that every decision I was gonna make from that point going forward, it was gonna affect me and her. And then every other person that I interacted with. And my mindset flipped where now life is bigger than me. So I have a responsibility and an obligation to not feel sorry for myself, to not feel anxious at the things I can't control, to not, you know, X, Y, and Z. And things flipped. And so I realized that my struggle with my eyesight was really a a really big strength and it was a blessing because it allowed me to develop this perspective where I was extremely grateful for every single thing that I had. And, you know, still to this day, I go to bed at night, I get to, you know, see Michaela and I, I wake up in the morning. And the first time I open my eyes, I don't know if I'm still going to be able to see her the same way I saw her the night before. And so to me, every single day is a blessing. Every adversity is an opportunity to find strength in that struggle. And I truly believe that. And I know that not everybody is losing their eyesight. But I do know that everybody struggles with something throughout their life at some point. And it's all about perspective. I think Henry David Thoreau once said, it's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. And to me, that, that perspective shift has absolutely changed my life. And I feel like I don't have bad days anymore. It's just, I have good days. I have great days and I have great, I have days where I learn a lot about myself.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, and I love that you meeting Michaela kind of was the catalyst of that, but you are on this journey yourself as well. And, um, you know, I'm sure that you've spent a lot of time with mindfulness and just kind of becoming aware of those emotions and fears that you have and facing them head on that's definitely something that I've experienced as well, where I've gone through hard seasons. And one thing that I talk a lot about is gratitude and something I've been practicing for a while. And when I started my gratitude practice, I was in a very dark season and had a lot of anxiety and it had to do with my dad's health. And, you know, my mom helped me through that a lot. And one thing she just kept saying was focus on what you can control, you know? And that's something that looking back, I realize is so powerful because we get so caught up in things that we can't control and the bad things happening around us. And although it's important to recognize those, there's always something to be grateful for and be present in now. And, um, you know, talking about this, the other quote that, that you've said um, that contributed to your recent tattoo that I love, and you'll have to say it, but about that, when you feel like you've been buried, realize that you've actually been planted and yeah. the power in working your way out of a dark place once you do see the light and you get out of it, I mean, I feel so much more confident now in just my ability to face adversity. And that's what empowers me to take leaps and face challenges because I've been there in some way, you know?
1: Yeah. I'm glad that the quote resonated with you. And it's by a woman named Christine Kane, and you were pretty much spot on. Sometimes when you're in a dark place, you think you've been buried, but you've actually been planted. And to me, it's it's so fascinating because. If you think about putting a rock underground and putting a seed underground, you know everything is the same except the object, right? And so it's really easy to look around you and see darkness and just assume like I'm buried. You know this is this this sucks. Um, but if you take the perspective of the seed, there's something inside of you with the right soil, the right environment, and enough time that you haven't been buried. You've been planted. And I think that perspective for me is rooted in faith, but it can, it can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I think just generally, it just comes with the perspective on life that everything happens for a reason and that things aren't happening to you. They're happening for you. And just to go back a couple of minutes to your point on controlling what you can control, you know, right before I went to grad school, I lost a big chunk of my sight and I almost didn't go to school. And I look back at that season and I I think to what my parents told me and they told me that I couldn't live my life based off of what if, what if I go blind, what if I can't finish, what if this, what if that, that I had to think in terms of even if, even if I lose more sight, even if I go blind, even if this, I will figure it out then by controlling what I can control. So it was really that shift from what if to even if that helped me through that difficult season. And then the last thing I wanna say on that is just, you know, exercise and fitness is something that we both share. And uh, it sounds like a lot of your listeners share as well. And one of the reasons why I love hard things in life, whether it's adversity or struggle or uncomfortable situations, if you think about what happens in the gym, just for example, right? you are struggling, you're struggling against resistance. And with the proper combination of of resistance and rest and nutrition, you grow, you get stronger, you become more resilient. And the same thing applies for our minds, our spirits, us as human beings. And uh, that's another reason I love exercise is because it's so much more than just the physical. Um, There are life lessons. And I've learned a lot about myself through that. One hundred percent.
0: And that's one of my biggest philosophies as a coach, too, is looking at that entire approach. Um, I was a student athlete here at Scranton. I played varsity field hockey for four years. And looking back on those four years, my biggest takeaway was not even that I loved the sport of field hockey. I will admit I was a bench warmer. I wasn't one of the more skilled players. And I beat myself up every day to get better. I journaled after practice on what I did well and what I didn't. And I worked so hard. And at the end, when I never really got to where I wanted to be, I did feel disappointed. But looking back years later, that journey made me fall in love with pushing myself and working hard and working out and inspiring others around me. And I'm so grateful for that struggle that I had. And I'm grateful for the fact that I was in an environment where I was a small fish in a big pond because those lessons have carried over to you know so much else. And I just recorded a podcast on strength training and how there's such a mental component of it. I'm, I'm really into that as well. Um, but one thing I want to add your comment on when you've been buried, there's rocks and there's seeds and you get to decide kind of ties into that controllable and uncontrollable because you said like, okay, you can choose to be the seed and with the proper environment and soil and water, let's say you'll grow. That's kind of the equivalent of control your environment. Right. Like we might not be able to control everything about the here and now, but you can control what you consume and to some extent, the people in your life and what you take in and what you put out, you know, like, wow, that was that was really good. I really
1: appreciate I'm, that. I'm I'm really glad that resonated with you. And you know, just to your point on field hockey, I think it's such a great one and it's it's so cool to see that you can look back and realize that the process was more important than the outcome. And I think that's just something that I've learned over and over and over again in life is you we have these expectations, we have these goals, we have these desires, and when they don't come true or they don't happen as we expected, we can feel let down or disappointed or even discouraged. Um, But really it's, it's about the process. I mean, the product doesn't matter at, at the end of our life, the product is that we're dead and the process is our life. And so I think it's just so powerful when we can embrace the process and detach a little bit from the outcome. It's good to have goals. It's good to have direction. um, But really at the end of the day, an outcome is, is usually out of our control. And uh, I think it's just a really good point.
0: Yeah, totally. 100%. Um, Now, another thing I wanted to speak with you a little bit about is you have openly spoken about imposter syndrome a little bit, which is definitely something that I experienced, especially in the last few months as I've kind of dove a little more into creativity and putting things out. What does imposter syndrome mean to you and what advice do you have for somebody who might be going through it?
1: Yeah. It's another really big topic. Um, you know, it affects people in the creative space in physical therapy and health and wellness everywhere. Everybody feels this at some point, probably more often than not, and more often than they express to other people. So I think that's the first thing to understand is that, When we feel like an imposter, which is kind of this feeling like we don't belong or we're not good enough to be doing something, um, we have to realize that everybody else is probably experiencing that same feeling at a certain level in their life, and they're just not expressing it outward. So we're all kind of feeling the same thing and nobody's saying anything about it. So I think that's the first thing to understand. But for me, imposter syndrome really popped up in the clinic. When I was out of school treating patients on my own um, as physical therapist. And I think the feeling for me was, okay, I'm in this position where people are coming for advice, for guidance, for help, for expertise. And there were so many questions, so many problems that I couldn't answer and couldn't solve that I felt like, oh, I'm just not qualified for this. And what I had to continue to remind myself of is, especially in the field of physical therapy, we don't have all the answers. There's so much about the human body that we just don't know. And that's okay. And I think what helped me get over the the hump and out of the cycle of imposter syndrome was just realizing that it is totally okay. And really, it's better than okay. It's great. When you can acknowledge that either you don't know or you're wrong. And that honesty just completely sets you free. Because as long as you're honest and you're willing to learn and improve, Those two things are the only things that matter when it comes to helping other people. And I went from trying to pretend like I had all the answers and stumbling over my words and, you know, making mistakes and trying to cover them up in the beginning as a student to, you know, now three years removed from school, feeling totally comfortable and really good about saying to a person, you know, listen... I don't know the answer i'm not sure what's going on here's what we do know and here's what the plan is you know i'm here with you we're going to walk hand in hand through this process and we'll make adjustments throughout you know throughout and and i'm here for you and i think that fact that i feel comfortable now being okay with being wrong or being okay with not knowing and then striving to be better that has helped me with imposter syndrome now In the creative space, it's similar, but different. And I think social media is really challenging because like you alluded to earlier, you put yourself out there and you look around and everybody else is maybe also putting themselves out there, but only showing the good stuff or making themselves look pretty and there's filters on everything and they're, you know, so that's a really hard space, but what I've learned just over time and over the past five and a half, six years of just consistently putting myself out there is. Authentic people recognize authentic people. And those are the people that you want to attract into your life. So really, if you feel compelled to shut down completely, because your life doesn't feel good enough to put on social media, um, don't do that do the opposite, be real, be authentic, be genuine. And the people that are meant to come into your life will be attracted to you. Um, And you want to build that community. Speaking of, you know, the soil and the nutrients, like you want to build that environment of people who are authentic and genuine. Um, And, and the last thing is, I don't think imposter syndrome ever goes away. I think that fake it till you make it is good advice on the surface, but I really like believe it until you become it. Um, because I don't think we should try and fake things. Like, I think we should really try to embody and believe things. And when it comes to creating or being a good physical therapist or doing whatever you want to do in life, I think it just comes from an understanding of, okay, who am I right now? Who do I want to be? And how do I take a steady path to get there? Um, and surround yourself with good people who are on the same journey.
0: Wow. I really love that. That was very powerful. And your authenticity is one reason why I'm really glad to be a part of your community, you know, even if I'm just one of many. Um, But it's so true. And especially like within physical therapy, a lot of us who decide to go into PT and get into PT school tend to be competitive type A people. We don't like to be wrong. We don't like to fail. And the biggest lesson that I learned on clinical and I knew it was coming is that I'm going to be wrong a good amount of time. And it was really hard for me to sit with And really hard for me to look my clinical instructor Olivia in the eye and say, I don't know when that opportunity came, but by the end, I mean, it, it takes time to know it and it takes, you need to go through a struggle to fully understand the purpose of it. But you're right. I mean, recognizing that is important and especially in physical therapy and especially in fitness. One thing that I remind myself is there's always so much room to grow. And it's going to take time to become an expert in anything. Mm -hmm. So social media makes it so hard, I think, to put yourself out there sometimes because somebody else might have said it better or somebody else might have a better idea, but you're not that somebody else yet, you know? So like, I have to be careful when I'm looking at people's content or listening to people's ideas that I'm not judgmental because I'm like, okay, that's where you're at right now, you know? And for me in terms of my knowledge with strain and conditioning, I might be a little bit ahead of some of my peers, but I need to recognize that like everybody starts somewhere and it's hard because there, there's a lot of judgment. And I mean, I find when I'm giving advice to my athletes or I'm posting something on Instagram, I'm like, is there something better? But I trust that in the five, 10, 15, 20 years ahead of me, I'm going to get better. And also acknowledging, and you can tell me if you agree with this, but Mm -hmm. it's okay to change your mind. Mm -hmm. you know, like we all have our core values and beliefs as people, but when it comes to what we know in terms of science and Mm -hmm. fitness, and that's always evolving. So the other thing that bothers me is when I see people attack something that somebody said three years ago, because they're not the same person, you know, and there are nutrition things that I do differently now. And my sleep habits are different now because I simply know more. So I'm sure you've gone through something similar yourself.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. And there's this great book called Being Wrong by Catherine Schulz. That sounds like which, something I, I need to invest in. <laughs> oh, you should, you should read it. It's so good. But on your point of, of changing your mind and, and, and that being okay, I mean, the whole book is just about how being wrong is a really, really good thing that most people try to avoid at all costs. Um, and it's about you know being confident and convicted in what you know, but open to what you don't. And I think that like that, uh, that firmness in believing what you believe matched with that flexibility and openness of being willing to accept new evidence is really, really important, especially in the field of physical therapy, but more so just uh, in the field of human beings, you know, like we, we can all apply that. And the other thing with that is too, you know, being wrong is an opportunity to get a little bit better and a little bit closer to the truth. But if we don't Honor that and we're not honest about that, um, then we miss out on opportunities to improve. And so, you know, for any student who's out there uh, who has a clinical instructor or any, you know, um, physical therapist who has a, a peer mentor or somebody else, like admit when you're wrong and be willing to learn because you will get exponentially better at a way faster rate than people who are just trying to pretend like they know what they're talking about. Those are the people who aren't going to grow. And then just to add in one more kind of anecdote, there's this author I love, Seth Godin. And uh, one of the things he talks about is putting your work on the hook as a creator. And so there, he tells this story about how in Turkey, every bakery, when people go in, they buy two loaves of bread. They take one home and they tell the baker to put the other one on the hook. And so the baker will literally take a loaf of bread and put it on a fish hook hanging from the ceiling. And then when people are walking by down on the street and they're hungry and they don't have any money, they can come into the bakery and say, hey, is there anything on the hook? And they could take it or leave it. And his whole point was the process of creating is putting your work on the hook and letting other people come by and they could take it or leave it. But if they take it or leave it, that's not the important part. It's that you actually put your work on the hook out there for other people to see that you produced. And just by creating, you're getting better and you're gaining clarity and you're moving forward. So I think that's a really underrated aspect of what you and I do is – Creating podcasts that might not be perfect or putting out an Instagram post where three years later you might actually look back and say, What was I thinking? Um, it's the process of getting started and getting going that's more important than the outcome.
0: Yeah, I love that. I actually listened to that or watched that YouTube video the other day and it struck me so hard that I literally called my boyfriend who also was really into mindset, health, fitness stuff and I told him the story. And he was just like, wow, like that, like that's exactly what you're doing. And Mm -hmm. the other thing that I love about that is picturing that analogy, the person who walks by and grabs that bread off the hook is probably not somebody that, you know, and might not be somebody who ever tells you or thanks you for that bread, but there's somebody out there who likely will gain value from it. And that's what I tell myself too, is I don't know who's listening to my content or reading my content, but Hopefully, there's one person out there who hears it and is like, wow, like
1: that meant a lot, you know? And the beautiful part about all of this is that this lives on the internet. And if somebody in the year 2050 randomly stumbles across this podcast and are listening to you and me, well, first of all, if you're listening to this in the year 2050, please reach out to one of us because that's <laughs> 29 years from now. But um, that's a beautiful thing. Like you, like you said, that you never know who's going to come across it. And I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me after they've been following along or reading my blog or whatever it is for like two or three or four years. And they'll reach out after four years. And that's the first time I know that I've been having a positive impact on them. And so to your point, um, I think we owe it to the people who might benefit from our content to put it out there because it's really this battle between, is it good enough? Is this going to... this the internal struggle of is this good enough versus the potential benefit that this might have for somebody else down the road. And if you could help one person, it's always worth putting out there.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Um, another a book that I'm actually reading right now, which I believe you've read is Ego is the enemy. Yeah. And I'm learning a lot from that because I've, you know, spent a lot more time with my inner self and this inner dialogue. And um, one thing that stuck out to me. One of the chapters was, um, something along the lines of like, don't chase passion chase purpose. Mm. And at first I read that and completely was like, what do you mean? Passion is bad. Cause my whole mantra is passion, perseverance, performance. Like that's my brand. But as I was reading it, I was thinking about how I would define my passions in life. And I'm realizing that it really is my purpose. Um, but that being said, I mean, One thing that I often think about and talk about on my show is pursuing your purpose. Find out what makes you, you, what you want to do and chase it. But I've realized that pursuing your purpose, your true purpose sometimes comes with criticism. So do you have any tips for navigating that criticism and navigating people who, you know, might doubt what you're doing or judge what you're doing?
1: I'm going to stand up here. I don't know if your, your podcastees can, can see me. Probably not. But I'm, I'm about to read a quote that I have on my wall here. So All right, let's hear it. Theodore Roosevelt, the man in the arena. Do you know this one, Julie?
0: I've seen it on your page, but go ahead okay. and read it. All right. It'll be more powerful. Ready? All
1: right. So Theodore Roosevelt said this in 1910. He said, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. knows in the end, the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Man, it gets me every time. And I, I think, uh, you know, that's on my wall and maybe someday will be tattooed on my body. Who knows? <laughs> Um, you know, there are always going to be people who criticize. There are always going to be people who tell you you're not good enough or question why you're doing what you're doing. Those people are not the people that matter. The thing that matters is that we're taking action, that we're pursuing our purpose, that we're moving toward where we need to be. And there's this other amazing quote, I don't have it in front of me, so I'll paraphrase, um, but it's about the graveyard and that the graveyard is the richest place on earth because it's there where all the books that were never written, all the songs that were never sung, um, whatever you want to say there, like all the dreams and hopes that were never fulfilled are in the graveyard. And I think that Criticism versus regret. You have to decide which one you're going to tolerate. And if you want to listen to the criticism and you're okay with the pain and discomfort of regretting not pursuing your purpose, then that's okay. That's your choice. But at the end of your life, if the the fear of regret outweighs your fear of criticism, then you need to push past the criticism and understand that the people who matter won't mind what you're doing and the people who mind what you're doing, they really don't matter. And so for me, it's just the fact that, you know, it's the people who are in the arena. Those are the people who matter, the people who are taking action and the critics will always be there, uh, but you can't let them slow you down.
0: Wow. Well, that was definitely something that I really needed to hear. So thank you for that. Um I mean that's one thing that I'm I'm really grateful to social media in general and people like you who are willing to have conversations and create a community because you're right like let's find more of us who are in the arena your arena is much bigger than mine but we're still in there you know and um I'm definitely learning you know as time goes on to listen to what people say and think about it for a minute or two and if it's going to serve me great and if it's not going to serve me there's other things to focus on, you know, but it's always a work in progress, especially when you're a people person, right? Like I am totally a people pleaser. I always have been. And it's something that I know as I go forward and I start to gain more responsibility in life, I have to work through because at the end of the day, you can't make everybody happy, right? You can't say what everybody wants to hear.
1: Yeah and, and you know I was just recording a podcast the other evening and I forget what the exact wording was but my guest said something to the effect of uh if you don't upset anybody, you're also not going to help anybody. And he said it much more eloquently than that. But the idea was that if you're always just trying to toe the line and keep everybody happy, you're really never going to get anything done because you it's just you can't, if you're going to do something, people are going to react to it one way or the other. And I just recorded a podcast the other week with Nick bear, who is the founder and CEO of bear performance nutrition, a company that I work with. And he's somebody that I look up to quite a bit. And he kind of put it in the context of the world is filled with darkness, with bad people trying to do bad things. And that's just the reality of the world we live in. You know, there's some bad, tough stuff going on. And that if you look at the world in that darkness lens, there are people and things that are are lights, right? There are people like you and I who are trying to shine a light for other people to follow, who are trying to illuminate the darkness just a little bit. And if you're in a dark room and someone turns on a flashlight, one of two things are going to happen. Some people are going to try and follow that flashlight. And some people are going to try to shut it off because they don't like the light. They want to keep it dark. And so you have to be willing uh, to keep your light shining, even when other people don't want it to. And you have to trust that it's happening on purpose for a good reason, and that you're helping people. And if those things check check out, and you are doing those things for those reasons, like keep shining, you know.
0: Yeah. Awesome. All good stuff. I can't wait to re-listen to this episode and hear all of the wisdom you've been dropping at me this whole time. <laughs> um, so one final thought to finish on here. My podcast is centered around the pursuit of high achievement and becoming a better version of yourself. So what's a personal goal that you have right now and how are you working towards it?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's interesting because my podcast that I co-host is called The Pursuit Podcast and we ask our guests similar questions. And I feel like my answer in my mind always changes. Um, Really right now, I'm pursuing being the best husband that I could possibly be. And it's probably not the goal people want to hear me talk about, but it's really important to me. And it's something that's just been on my heart, um, you know, for the past year, because obviously I'm pursuing all of these tangible, real world goals. Whether it's writing a book, which I have a chapter in a book coming out next month, or, you know, getting my podcast um, to a certain level of a certain number of listeners, whatever it is. But to me, people are most important. And so the thing that I'm pursuing right now is being the best husband possible, which means prioritizing my time uh, so that when I'm spending time with Michaela, my wife, um, I'm fully present. And the things that can wait, I'm putting off to the side for the next day or the next day or whenever they can get done. Um, because I know that our time isn't guaranteed and that the people in our lives are the most important to us. That That's the most important thing. And I think my biggest fear is someday helping so many people across the world, but not not being there for the people that are closest to me. And so that's really the thing I'm pursuing right now.
0: Nice. Yeah, that's that's really powerful too. I mean, it's easy to get kind of swept up in all of these goals that we have and making a to-do list and always thinking about like, what's going to get done tomorrow. But I've taken steps, especially in physical therapy school to enjoy the here and now and be present. And like you said, in those moments where it's a night that you're not working, enjoy whatever it is that you're doing. Enjoy being out at the bar. Enjoy that date night with your boyfriend, you know, because we get so stressed and yes, PT school is hard, but At the same time, this is kind of still the easy part. We're still students, you know, like we don't know what's coming in the future. So let's enjoy whatever time we get.
1: Yeah, well said. I couldn't agree more. And the last thing I'll throw in there is just the fact that when we die, our gravestone might have our our name on it, our birthday, our our death date, and maybe a quote, but there's going to be a dash between the date we were born and the date we died. And that dash is our life. And the only thing that really remains from that dash is how we impacted other people. And so at the end of our lives, you know, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, 300 years from now, nobody's going to remember our names. Our great, great, great grandchildren probably will have no idea who we were, but how we impacted the people closest to us will have a a ripple effect and a trickle effect down generations long after we're gone. And I think that's, that's the most important thing to me and something that we could definitely lose sight of if we're focused on outcomes all the time. Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Now tell me where can people find you and support you after this conversation?
1: Sure. So I think the best place to connect with me is just through Instagram and my handle is Joe A. Rinaldi. And then through Instagram, you can message me, find my blog, newsletter, podcast, YouTube, everything. Um, And I would love to connect with anybody who's listening. Thank you, Julie.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much, Joe. No problem. Thank you all so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Goal Set Mindset Podcast. I hope this episode leaves you feeling at least a little bit more inspired. So take some time to think about what your true purpose really is and go after it unapologetically. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to send Joe or I a message on Instagram and let us know so we can thank you personally for the support. You guys can find me on Instagram at goalsetmindset_jb. underscore JB. If you enjoyed this interview style episode, I would love to hear about it because I have plenty more people in mind that I'm going to have on my podcast. So as always, thank you so much for tuning in and we will be back next week with another episode.